Well, friends, are you ever discouraged about following Jesus and so discouraged about church? That might be because you're sick and tired of being the one picked on at school or at work or even in your own home. Or maybe it's when people appear on TV and they're arguing that Christianity is wrong and it's silly. That gives you doubts and it gets you down. With the world out there always saying that Jesus and the church are foolish, you're starting to wonder, or maybe you've been wondering for a while, maybe following Jesus isn't worth it. And so maybe church, getting together with other believers to help each other trust in Christ, maybe it's just not worth it and you're discouraged. Friends, this morning's passage is written into that exact situation. The Ephesians were discouraged about church, wondering whether or not it's right or worth it. And Paul wanted to remind them and us that church is worth it. Turn with me to the very last verse of our passage this morning, chapter 3 and verse 13, and let's see where Paul ends up. Where are we going this morning? Chapter 3, verse 13. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul was suffering for the Ephesian church and it was discouraging them because they'd heard of Christ from Paul, but he'd been put in prison for preaching the gospel to them. In fact, everywhere Paul went, people were either trying to kill him or put him in jail. And if everyone else in the world thought that Paul and his gospel were wrong... Maybe Paul was wrong and it was unsettling the Ephesians. It was giving them doubts about whether or not Paul's gospel was on the money, doubts about following Christ, doubts about the whole thing of church and being believers together. But Paul asked them not to be discouraged. And his remedy for those who are discouraged about church is to help us to see the church not from the world's perspective, not even from our perspective, but from God's perspective. So this morning, if you are feeling discouraged about following Jesus together with us, these verses are here to encourage you and to spur you on in what God has caught you up in. And if you're here this morning and you feel great about Jesus and you feel great about his church, well, then you're in for a real treat as well because we're going to be reminded of the incredible privilege it is that God has called us to be a part of his people. So let's take a look at God's perspective on church. And first, we need to see who we were to God before he gathered us to himself. So back to verse 11, chapter 2. Paul zeroes in here on the Gentiles, and he reminds us that before God brought us to himself, we were a long, long way away from him and his people. We were outsiders. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore... Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. In other words, as Gentiles... We were a long, long way away, separate from Christ, kept out of God's people, strangers to his promises, and so we were without hope and without God in the world. But this is not who we are now. 
from verse 13, Paul describes a radical transformation, who we are now from God's perspective, and that is we were far away, but now, as far as God's concerned, we've been brought near. Pick it up in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now, friends, as far as I know, we are a church family of Gentiles, and that is an amazing verse for us to hear. That we who were once far away, once without hope and without God, now, through the blood of Christ, we've been brought near. But brought near to who? Or what exactly? Well, first, we've been brought near to the Jewish believers in Christ. There can now be peace between Gentile and Jewish believers, which is really astonishing because Jews and Gentiles hated one another. Verse 14, for he himself, that's Christ, he himself is our peace who has made the two, that's Jew and Gentile, he has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. I know there's a lot in that verse. See if we can just tease it out. Paul's saying that the law of God Given to the Jews in the Old Testament, it's described here as a barrier between Jew and Gentile. The law was a dividing wall of hostility because the law said that the Gentiles were excluded from God's people. The law said that only Jews could be fully fledged members of God's people. The law told the Jews to avoid being anything like the Gentiles. And so as a marker of being one of the people of God, the law was a wall of hostility between Jew and and Gentile. As an example of this, of how the Jews felt about the Gentiles, outside the Jewish temple in the first century was a sign. Uh, the temple was where God lived among his people, and so the Jews wanted to make sure that the Gentiles didn't get anywhere near their God. And up on the screen is going to come a picture of a fragment of a, the sign that was outside the Jewish temple and what it said. So this is what it said. No foreigner, in other words, no Gentile, shall enter into the bulustrade of the temple or within the precinct, and whoever is caught doing this will be responsible for his death that will follow as a consequence. It's not exactly welcome along to church this morning, is it? <laughs> it's basically saying that if you come in here, we'll kill you and it'll be your fault. There's not a lot of love lost, not a lot of love lost here, is there? But in verse 14, we're told that Jesus came to destroy the hostility between Jew and Gentile. And then in verse 15, we're told that Christ's purpose was to replace that hostility with peace. Second half of verse 15. His purpose, that's Christ, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Paul is saying here, Jew and Gentile can now be at peace with one another because it is Christ's death that is the way both of them are reconciled to God. And so neither of them can think that anyone's better than the other anymore because we're both guilty of sin, which means we're both enemies of God, but we're both able to be reconciled to God by the same Lord Jesus and his one death for sin. 
And so all the differences from the past have come and gone. The biggest divide in history has been done away with. Imagine you and I have been given the exact same MP3 player, an iPod, say. But we're having an argument about who has the better one. You say your iPod's better than mine because you used to own LP records in the past. I say my iPod's better than yours because I used to own tapes in the past. It's just silly, isn't it? Because nobody makes records anymore and nobody makes tapes anymore. They've both been superseded. They've both come and gone. So who cares what we had in the past? Our iPods are much better than tapes or records. Our iPods are exactly the same. So I can't look down on you. You can't look down on me. We should just rejoice, shouldn't we? And just get along as people who've been given these great iPods. It's that sort of thing that's going on here with Jew and Gentile, but obviously much bigger that what was in the past has now come and gone. Both Jews and Gentiles are now brought to God exactly the same way, and so we should just rejoice and get along as people who've been given peace with God. And this is why, here at Early Church, it doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter what level of education you've received, what social standing you have, how much money you've got in your bank balance, what colour your skin is, what clothes you dress in, because in the end, none of those things matter. If the biggest divide in history is gone, then every other divide is gone. They don't matter. Whatever differences we may have, and there's plenty, we put them aside. We're free to love one another because in Christ we have together been made into the one people of God. And from verse 19, Paul goes on to celebrate this wonderful gift that God has given to both Jew and Gentile in Christ, that together we now make up the household of God. Verse 19, have a look at it there. Consequently, you, that's you Gentiles, are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him... The whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Friends, those verses are just priceless. Can you remember verse 12, where we Gentile Christians were told to remember that formerly we were separate from Christ, excluded from God's people, but here we're no longer foreigners. Instead, we're fellow citizens with the Jewish Christians. So who are we now from God's perspective? Together, we're God's household, where his temple, his home, his dwelling place, where he lives by his very spirit. And how has God done all of this? He's done it by the gospel of Christ. And friends, at this stage in the letter, I can imagine the Ephesians being really excited by what they're reading But at the same time, there could easily have been doubts in their minds because they heard about Jesus from Paul. But remember, he's always in trouble. Maybe he's got it wrong. Chapter three, verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul here acknowledges his troubles. That even as he's writing this letter, he's in prison for telling the Gentiles the gospel. Everywhere he goes, the Jews want to kill him. Paul anticipates that the Gentile believers who are reading his letters, that they'd be unsettled by this. 
They could be discouraged by what's happening to him. And so in chapter 3, he writes to assure them that his gospel is authentic. And so the Gentile Christians, they, we really truly are included in God's people. Verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Paul here reminds the Ephesians that they know, surely you've heard, they know that Christ personally singled Paul out. That the Lord Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus and Christ made known to Paul God's mystery. This mystery wasn't made known in the past, but Christ has now made it known through his apostles and the Lord Jesus personally commissioned Paul to go and tell the Gentiles this mystery. And what is this mystery that is no longer a secret? It's that Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians are equal members of God's people. Go down to verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Through the gospel of Christ, God has made the Gentiles fully-fledged members of God's people, along with the Jewish Christians. Together, he says, we share in the blessings that come with it, the inheritance of God, the promises in Christ. Both groups have it all through the gospel of Christ. Now, winning a prize can be fun, can't it? I mean, my children are completely stoked whenever they come home from school and they've won the class raffle for the week, uh, which means they got a sticker or something, and apparently that's exciting. But what if you won a new car? What if you won a new car? Imagine that you were one of two winners of a competition and you were told that you were both had just won a new car each and the other person gets their car first and is ready to drive away, complete with air conditioning, surround, sound, stereo, uh, steering wheel, touch controls, inbuilt GPS, all the bells and whistles. And you're thinking, man, it's a good car to win. But for you, before you take your car home, well, you're going to have to pay a few thousand dollars in on-road costs and taxes, and your car doesn't come with a stereo or air conditioning, let alone all the other mod cons, you'd feel a bit ripped off, wouldn't you? As if you were somehow second-rate? That is certainly not what God has done for us. The gospel of Christ is for both Jew and Gentile. And even though in the past the Jews had it much better off than us Gentiles, now in Christ we're exactly the same. Heirs of God together. Members together of one body. Sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Together we make up God's precious people because together in Christ we both have it all. And what's God done this for? Why has he incorporated us Gentiles, the sworn enemies of the Jews, why has he included even the likes of us in Christ? It's so that he could display his wisdom. Have a look at verse 10. We're going to work our way through it slowly. Verse 10. His intent, that's God's purpose, God's objective, was that now... Through the church, through the gathering together of both Jewish and Gentile Christians, that even though they both used to hate each other and hate God by the gospel of Christ, they've been brought near to God and near to one another. And so through the church, verse 10 again, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, that all the rulers in the heavenly realms would see God's wisdom through us. And even though these rulers oppose God and they hate to see people right with God and that the last thing they want to see is God's people united, but as they look on the church, they're confronted with the wisdom of God because they see in us that God has won the hearts of men. In Christ, God has overcome sin and death. God is saying to the rulers in the heavenly realms, hey, take a look at this. I've taken people who were under your rule and I've brought them back to myself. And not only that, I've united them to one another. Take a look, God says, this is my church. These are my people. Look what I've done. It is marvellous. seems that every few months in the news there's always a new peace deal being hammered out in the Middle East, doesn't it? Palestinians and Israelis, they keep fighting and arguing over land and they've been doing it for centuries. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I hear of a new peace deal being reached in the Middle East, I'm always a bit sceptical because they never seem to last. Even if the political leaders agree, there's going to be some group within the peoples that will renew the hostilities and it will be on again for young and old. But imagine if one day a peace broker went in, say someone from the UN, and they sat down with both parties and they actually sorted out the differences. They genuinely resolved all the disagreements and in the Middle East, the fighting, the arguments and the killings all just stopped for good. That UN peace broker would be a hero, wouldn't they? I mean, you can imagine the press conferences. How did you do it? What did you say? News broadcasts from all over the world would be breaking with the news. Everyone would want to know, how did they achieve such a remarkable peace? They would be hailed as an incredible person. It's that sort of thing we're seeing here in Ephesians. Jews and Gentiles at war with one another and worse, together they were at war with God for centuries. But now, by the incredible wisdom of God in Christ, they've been brought together in peace to be God's own people. It is truly amazing what God has done. And all the powers and the rulers and the heavenlies, they see God's wisdom in achieving this. Are you beginning to get a feel for God's perspective on the church? Can you see why Paul says in verse 13, don't be discouraged about Christ or the gospel or the church because this is what God says about us. They are my dearly loved children. From God's perspective, the church is right at the centre of God's plans. What is God doing in the world? We saw it a couple of weeks ago. He is bringing all things in heaven and on earth together under Christ. And the one place in the world where you can see it happening right here and right now is in the church. And every power and authority in the heavenly realms, even the devil himself, they all look on us and see the wisdom and the power of God. And so the world might look at us and think we're a bunch of idiots. Our workmates might have a go at us. Our own families might belittle us for following Jesus. But the world looks at us at the church and thinks we're foolish. 
But when the heavenly realms look at us, they think God's amazing. And when God looks at us, he sees his precious people. When you look at us, what do you see? Friends, if you're discouraged about church at the moment, see church from God's perspective. As you look at the people around you this morning, look at us with fresh eyes and fresh hearts because together we're the temple of God. Together we're one body. Together we share in the promises in Christ. Together we display the wisdom of God. Together we've been brought to the Lord Jesus. Together we're at the very heart of what God is doing in all creation and it has all been given to us from God himself. Friends, being in church, gathered with God's people here on a Sunday morning, or in our growth groups, or at the mob, gathering with God's people as God's people, there is nothing more significant going on anywhere else in all the world than church. That's why we make the effort to be here Sunday by Sunday, even when we don't feel like it, even when the kids are ready, even when it would be easier to sleep in or just not come. We come. We're committed because we're God's church. It's why we commit to our growth groups. It's why we miss that favourite TV show week in, week out, because we want to love the people in our groups. We want to encourage them and build them up. It would take a lot to make us miss our growth group because we're God's church. This is why Paul says that being jailed for church is nothing. Being beaten up, that's okay. If it's for the church. So friends, your commitment to Christ and his people, your sufferings for us, your sacrifices for us, your service of us, your patience with us, your love of us, it's all worth it. Because from God's perspective, there is nothing more precious in all the earth than his people. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that even the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms... Even though they are opposed to you, they can look on a group like us and admit your wisdom and see your power, that you have reconciled us to you and to one another. Father, we praise you that when you look down on us, you see your precious people bought with the blood of Christ himself. Father, we don't deserve any of this. And so we pray you would fill our, heart, fill our hearts with joy that we would be your people and that, Father, knowing the love that you have for us, we would love one another just as you have loved us. Amen.